Hi everybody, you're listening to The Woke Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about woke bondage. Woke bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Woke Podcast. I'm Fox, I'm a rigger, and she's Maya, and she's a rope bottom. We've been practicing together for around four years now. We're very excited to share our passion for rope with you from our home in Thailand. And today we have a new type of episode, a rope field report. That sounds exciting, Maya. So Fox, what is a rope field report? Well, you know, Maya, how we've done a bunch of rope touristing episodes where we send you, the bunny, across the whole wide world to bring back all the rope experiences for us. Yes, I do. Well, for once, you didn't have to go very far because we actually had some rope events uh, happening in Thailand, which honestly does not happen that often. It doesn't. We don't often get uh, workshops or or teaching from um, external rope teachers very often. So... But this time we had a nice surprise um, because rope friends CAD and Miscellany came to Bangkok and gave two workshops on the weekend. I guess a two-part workshop is a better way to explain it. Uh, yeah, although um, we did them backwards and no one wow. else... <laughs> we like doing it backwards. We did. So there was, it was freestyle rope. Good riggers do it from the back. Okay, I'm not even going there. Uh, so it was I am. free freestyle rope. Stop focusing on the ass. Um, and there was one on floor rope, um, mm-hmm. and we also did um, a private with them around uh, freestyle rope suspension. All right. So we did it as you said backwards. So we actually did the suspension piece on the Saturday, and then the floor piece on the Sunday. But most people who experience this workshop, and right away, spoiler alert, I recommend that you do, if you have the prerequisites for it, uh, will probably experience it the other way around, and thus we're going to talk about it this way, floor part first, suspension part second. Yeah, so with the floor class, um, I actually bottomed for another rope top because you weren't able to make it, unfortunately, Um, but it was more... um, of a building blocks workshop than the the suspension workshop. So what Um, does that mean, a building blocks workshop? um, It means that there are about eight or nine tying pairs and um, Cad and Miss Laney were comfortable with um, completely new people to rope as well as more um, intermediate rope people uh, within the workshop. And so it was in our local shared king space um, and the, the... the focus of the workshop was to be able to create um, a tie without a structured form, so not using a pattern tie, right. um, but that still stays together when you let it go. So a pattern tie would be, for example, a TK or a chest harness or a gravity boot. That's yes, a pattern. Yes, exactly. So that's something that um, there might be different forms of, but it's consistent. Um, it's usually been tried and tested quite a lot by quite a lot of people. It's a common tie that lots of people know, that kind of thing. All right. So how do you take essentially fairly new people to rope because the rope scene in Bangkok is a lot of newer people and get them to that stage? Um, So there were a lot of different exercises. Um, We started off with tension drills, so just laying the rope on the person and taking it off again, Mm -hmm. using the same tension the whole time. 
um, and and without communicating anything, which was very interesting. Okay. Um, so that was a very, I guess, flat exercise. Um, and the bottom was giving feedback the whole time on how that tension was. And for you, so you were tying with a rigger. You haven't tied with a lot before, right? Yeah, that's right. And so, how was it for you to do this type of exercise with a new rope partner? Um, it was fine. Um, I feel quite comfortable with the kind of rope that was in this workshop. So for me, it was uh, like a refresher and breaking down, I guess, some of the things that we've done quite a lot of into different building blocks and looking at it from different perspectives rather than being anything kind of big and new. Um, so it was enjoyable in that sense. All right. Do you feel you got something out of it as a bottom? Yeah, the exercises were interesting. Um, so doing um, kind of com contact improv type stuff. Um, CAD and miscellany are very non-power exchange. So it's quite interesting to see them tie together um, because the control, even when one of them is tying and they both tie, um, switch between them. So sometimes the bottom actually was almost lead, well, was leading exercise which is very interesting that's very interesting for us in Thailand because in the Thai scene well, obviously you and I tie from within a power exchange relationship so our rope is going to be very covered by that but even other people doing rope in Thailand tend to come from more of a Japanese bondage tradition where maybe a certain level of power exchange is implied for the duration of the scene um, yeah I think it was a new style of rope for, for most people um, so that's really interesting yeah Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I think um, it was it was very interesting to experience those drills and split out the different um, aspects of the tensions, as we said, uh, body manipulation, rope handling, the kind of basic uh, frictions, some hitches. Um, we did a lot of Ishinawa in different ways, mm -hmm. um, and obviously that's one of my favorite thing so we have episode 60 and 61 on that absolutely um and and the kind of end products of that um final like the climax of the workshop which is to kind of put all of the things together was very reminiscent of the um more fighty ishinawa scene that we did last year i, I wrote an uh, erotica one um which was episode 51 which is a lot more So with us, we weren't switching power, but I'm a lot more active bottoming and kind of playful, I guess, in that way. All right. Um, so if I understand you correctly, uh, if our listeners want to look into this workshop, the floor part is fairly accessible in terms of technical requirements. So. Yeah, very much so. And it was good for my um, abilities to vocalize as a bottom. So it, one of the things that it made me think about, and I'm not sure I've got a good answer to this yet was around what can I add as an experienced bottom to this kind of class to my partner so how can I support my partner's learning as an experienced bottom without just being some someone to tie on if that makes sense it makes a lot of sense and I think there's a lot of interesting space to explore in more participative bottoming yeah Yeah, uh, And I'm not using the word active bottoming because for, for me active bottoming has a very specific meaning in the context of suspensions. I don't want to confuse people, but definitely the bottom being part of the co-creation of the scene and bringing things to the scene is a very interesting topic, I think. 
Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and it also made me think about how I'm giving feedback and making sure I'm balancing positive feedback and developmental feedback. Um, and, and I guess the biggest experience, the biggest takeaway for me, and I really hope for the rest of the group, was that you can do a great deal with not much rope experience and certainly without learning a ton of ties and a ton of um, patterns and so on. Okay, so you had a positive experience at that workshop, right? I did, yeah. And would you recommend this workshop to our listeners and what kind of people could be interested in this workshop? Yeah, I think um, for those who are starting off in their work journey or um, for those who want, who've been doing a lot of pattern stuff at a more intermediate level and perhaps haven't uh, branched out into more freestyle rope or um, floor work that doesn't contain those patterns, it would be very useful. All but right. I don't think you need a lot of prerequisites for that. Well, that's really nice to have something that's more open both to very beginners and people who are not beginners but have not really explored this freestyle, this Ichinawa, this dancing, movement-y aspect of rope that yeah. can be a very fresh perspective yeah. that they might enjoy. All right, and then we did the same thing but in the air. Yes, so we did um, a private session with CAD and Miscellany, which was on freestyle suspension and it was a, a private session just with us. Right, and we did that in our own space. So that's one of the benefits of doing a private lesson. We we could use our own venue, our own suspension frame, which we're quite used which to. Which we know very well, yeah, exactly. exactly. All right. Uh, so we had your suspension frame in the middle of the room and then you'd set up a nice, comfortable seating area, which we used for the more theoretical part. Yeah, so we chatted on that and then also one of us, some of us could watch while each one were tying, so that was useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not someone who's taken a lot of rope lessons. Uh, you are not someone who has taken a lot of face-to-face rope lessons, for sure. Uh, basically, why would that be? <laughs> basically, when I started rope five plus years ago, I started with one full-on lesson in person from a rigger. And then my second time was more of a workshop-y thing where he was present, but it was more um, autonomous, I guess. Yeah. It was just offering feedback, but not as much teaching. And then I didn't take any more rope lessons until we did that thing. Uh, this freeform suspension on Saturday. Yeah. So how you've turned to, tended to learn is more watching videos or um, getting input from FetLife without necessarily interacting with humans. Yeah, and I would say in general, even during my school years or in my career, I have been more of a self-taught individual and that's more my style. Yeah. So going into this private class, uh, I was very mindful that it would need some psychological flexibility from my side and do things that are a bit less in my habit. Yeah, yeah. Um, And you also have quite a strong personal style around your, your tying and we noted when we were reflecting afterwards that you when you tie with other people because both of us tie with other people and when you tie with other bottoms you tend to tie those bottoms in the same way yes. so they bring an energy but they don't bring a tying style um, yes. and you lead the tying style because as we've discussed there's not a lot of um, uh, bottom direction or mm-hmm. in that Whereas for me, when I tie with 20 different tops, uh, that's 20 different styles that I've experienced. And you mean tying with 20 tops simultaneously or in sequence? No, 20 different tops at different times. All right. Because that sounds like a fun scene, you know, if a bit chaotic. It sounds dreadful. (laughs) It sounds. Um, It's a lot of rope. 
so when I tie with different tops, I get those different experiences. And for me, um, in life more generally, I am open to teaching and learning. And for me, I try and experience something three times before I make a decision on mm. how I'm going to magpie it. And very rarely do I take anything without uh, pulling out the aspects that work for me and leaving the rest. Yeah. But I try things three times. Whereas for you, that's less comfortable. Let's say I have had more struggles with ego in my life than you have, maybe. Uh, different struggles, maybe. <laughs> different sure. struggles yeah. with ego. Anyway, I made the effort, and I am glad that I did, because honestly, Cad um, and Miss Only were super interesting. Yeah. I feel I got a lot of value out of working with them, and yeah, I like do not regret telling my ego to shut up for five minutes <laughs> and try, try it someone else's way. Yeah. And one of the biggest challenges for you that we reflected on was this idea of freestyle suspension being something that you come to with no plan so why was that hard for you um i am a, a person who plans and organizes a lot both in my kinky and my default world life no shit. and honestly it's part of what i enjoy in kink mm. and so a scene fully improvised with no preparation whatsoever that's taking away some of my pleasure mm -hmm. okay so i suppose the personality thing in terms of it's your your preferred style of behaving mm -hmm. and you love it yeah pretty much luckily i found a middle road that seemed to work well for me and that's actually a technique i borrowed from writing which is i don't necessarily need to have the whole thing planned out but i identify a few strong moments that I want to hit and then I'm able to be more improv around those as long as I know that I've been those big stepping stones that I'm going to build around. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really love making this podcast and sharing it with you, but your support can really help us pay for the hosting, the equipment and other critical costs. So if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at ropepodcast.com. You'll find ways to buy rope tutorials and gear, so we get a small commission from your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, you could also donate to us directly on our Patreon, either as a one-off amount or monthly support that can be as little as the price of a cup of coffee. If you can't afford to do that, that's okay. Just enjoy the podcast and maybe tell a kinky friend or two about it. Now back to today's episode. So you did go in with some plan, even though we were supposed to go in <laughs> yeah. with no plan. I, I went in with uh, some aspects of a plan, but not a full plan. I went in with knowing that I wanted a lot of rope on your back and something that looked a bit like a net on your back. And I wanted to start face up. Though that I identified basically in the first two minutes of thinking about the subject when we started the workshop. But the rest, I try to like play the game properly and, and improv it. So there's some ten creative tension between us around how we approach things, which is an interesting one in terms of how we manage this kind of um, class environment between us. Mm -hmm, definitely. And, well, that's sadly not the only challenge we were compounding with. No, we had quite a few physical challenges. Yeah, we, we were busted. <laughs> we were not in good shape. Yeah, so my chronic pain was flaring. Um, I had some... Um, Uh, physical, yeah, physical challenges there, and mm -hmm. you also had some physical stuff as well. You couldn't actually lift. Yeah, basically, uh, I just had surgery, and I wasn't allowed to like lift or carry anything for medical reasons. So obviously, when you're performing a suspension, that brings some challenges. And yes. more generally, because of health issues, I haven't been able to do any exercise. 
my body doesn't feel good. I don't feel as strong as I usually am. So yeah, I, on the physical standpoint, I was really not starting from a great point. Yeah, and this is an interesting style. Um, if you're not uh, fit, you might want to manage it differently or do it differently. So there was a bit of um, testing your... Um, what do you call it, testing your construction by lifting mm -hmm. it with your hand. Yeah. And neither of us could do that right now. And also, had our partners been bigger than us, we would have found that a bit challenging. Yeah, so that might be something to consider when you're thinking about adopting this style of freestyle suspension. Uh, if you are someone who's generally not as fit or if you have some uh, physical challenges, chronic things, that might not be the best style for you. Yeah, we also had some other prerequisites that we felt would help it fit within people's risk profiles, right? All right, tell me more about that. So we felt that you needed to be pretty experienced suspension-wise, both top and bottom. Definitely. I would say this is uh, the kind of workshop to consider if you're maybe north of 100 suspensions in experience. And I think that you need that because you need an understanding of the body um, in lots of different spatial orientations because you don't know how your suspension and the transitions are going to end up. Yeah. So you need to have experience both as top and bottom in being upside down, sideways, torsioned, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, and uh, definitely be experienced with transition. Be very at ease with how you manage your uplines as a rigger. Yeah. Uh, and have enough experience that you can react properly when the rope hits the fan, which with this style it will allow. Yeah. Yeah, and you need very strong communication skills, uh, which is a soft skill, as it were, but absolutely critical for this. Like, if you don't have good communication skills as top or bottom, you're gonna, it's gonna go bad. And it's probably the thing we worked on the more, the most during this workshop. Yeah, is our communication. Yeah, and we can talk about that a bit more um, as we go through, definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, and lastly, CAD and miscellany ask as a prerequisite for this part of a workshop that people have a solid experience of freeform tying on the floor, be it Ichinawa or other forms of freeform tying. Yeah, so people who've been to the workshop the day before, that's the kind of experience to build on, I yeah, think. And absolutely. we have that experience already, so... So a first impression of working with CAD and miscellany is they have a very different rope style from us, right? Uh, they do, yeah. They're non-power exchange. They're much more switchy. Um, they're very playful, kind of fighty, movie, dancey, um, quite style. Mm -hmm. um, and for this type of scene, they do a lot of talking. So that communication yeah. piece we were talking about. Uh, for, for me as a rigger, it was really interesting to observe Miscellany as a rope bottom and see her style because it's honestly something I'd never been exposed to before. Uh, yes, because she did um, share a lot of feedback and talk a lot and there was no kind of power exchange in the way that we tend to uh, do things. So what did you learn or what did we learn, I guess, from um, a more theoretical or technical um, perspective? We started by doing quite a bit of chatting uh, and listening to them do a more theoretical uh, expose, I guess. Um, I geeked out with CAD on a number of rigging points, which is always pleasant. You did, and they know a lot about uh, rope, so that was a very uh, interesting discussion to listen to. Yeah, it's really good to have someone to talk about these things. Like, I, feel, I, I feel good having a long, in-depth discussion about details of rigging. That was very pleasant. Um, and... We talked a bit about engineering, about mechanical forces, about the beauty of triangles and so on. Yeah, all the triangles everywhere. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I found interesting is that 
as is probably going to happen to everyone who does this for the first time, uh, some things we mentioned in the theory part, and then when it was our turn to try it, we forgot to apply some of the lessons. Uh, And I would say, and I think that applies to pretty much any kind of workshop or learning, um, take a lot of notes during the theory part, and after the workshop, review your notes and highlight for yourself the things you forgot or you didn't do correctly so you can do them better the next time. Yeah, and really ask yourself those questions. So what could I do better next time is a really great question Mm. um, to keep iterating and getting better. One thing that was really helpful is that CAD and Miscellany actually let us video the demo that they did for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And we've already reviewed it once, and I'm sure in the future, before we attempt this style again, we will review it several more times, and that's a really good way for us to get continued value uh, from this workshop. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it enables us to have a practice quite quickly and then go back to it again and then practice and go back to it again and keep asking ourselves those questions about what did we forget each time and what can we do better. Mm -hmm. Uh, So from a more technical learning standpoint, it was really interesting to me um, how they advocated testing the tie before we suspended it. So basically grabbing pieces pulling in a certain direction and seeing how the weight was distributing in the rope structure. Yeah, and that's where the bottom needed to give good feedback to say, okay, well, what does that do to the different parts of the tie, to the different parts of the body? Absolutely. Uh, one thing that seems striking also, both in their demo and in our tying, was that this style tends to use the shoulders a lot and puts quite a bit of weight in the shoulders. Yeah, the shoulders have a convenient right angle, um, and I think that it's a place that naturally um, ends up having rope on it, mm-hmm. which is fine, and not in you know regular suspensions that happens a lot. I think what happens here is that the weight is almost always asymmetrical, okay. so it tends to be one shoulder that's holding the, the weight, which can affect the the comfort level of the tie. Um, I certainly had some, some bruising on one of my shoulders. I'm pretty sure Miss Helene would have had also, <laughs> which is not necessarily a problem at all, but it's something to know. Uh, yeah, if if you're a rope bottom who finds uh, shoulders challenging, if you have some issues with your shoulders, you might want to be extra careful with your shoulders in this style. Uh, if you're a masochist who loves hurty rope, you're probably going to like this style because yeah. <laughs> there's definitely a lot of hurting. Uh, and what we ended up doing to relieve a bit the pain on your shoulder was uh, use a separate upline to pull the rope directly away from the shoulder that was hurting. And that mitigated, I would say, without taking completely away some of the pain you were feeling. Yeah, and you can... I mean, part of the um, process of the tying is to reinforce the structure, mm-hmm. add rope for comfort after that initial tie. Um, but as you said... Um, you really have to let go of your illusion about how much control you have over this kind of rope. Yeah, I noticed the riggers uh, tending to make predictions about how things were going to work out, and those predictions did not always turn out to be true. So definitely be ready if you're trying this style for a lot of chaos, a lot of putting out fires, and a lot of having to react fast to problems, which is why it's really not a workshop for beginners. Yeah, and in fact, that was one of the big learnings um, that we're trying to implement, which is to have to plan for your get out. So at any point mm-hmm. in the suspension, to have at least two ways as a rigger that you can bring the bottom down. And the bottom can contribute to that. Well, I would say to bring the bottom out of the suspension, okay. which you to me does not necessarily mean going down, because it might be asking someone to help you lift the bottom to relieve the pressure or other things. Uh, okay. But definitely have ideas of... 
if you get in trouble, how are you going to get out of that trouble? Yeah. Before yeah. you're too deep in it. Yeah. Okay. Um, terminology was something that we also picked up on um, in our experience of, of doing this kind of workshop. So, so what did that mean to us? It's interesting working with a rope instructor, for me, who doesn't have a lot of experience of that because they don't use the same words as I do for some of the things. Like what suspends someone to the frame in terms of rope, I call them upline. And they call that a fly, a fly line, mm -hmm. which was one difference. And very smartly, what you did is confirm with them that they, they meant the same thing we meant by using that different word. And that was actually really good that you did that. Yeah, but Mate was nervous because you, there's definitely an um, imposter syndrome piece around checking, like, am I, have I missed something entirely? Um, but what it reminded was is, is don't hesitate. If you have any doubt, it's much better to ask for confirmation that you're talking about the same thing Absolutely. than to think you are and yeah. have a bit of a bad time. People who trained in different places will have a different default vocabulary. And then you have things like Japanese versus English. Like what's another main in Japanese is a mentor hitch in English. And if you speak one and don't know the other, that might... Get you confused yeah and and different uh work teachers use collections of different words there's no kind of common terminology there's no rope committee that like tell everyone what the right words are i mean if there ever is i want to be on it yeah no <laughs> we have enough to do um, uh also interesting it is quite difficult to find words to describe complex things in space yes as the bottom in the air, all twisted, I would very much agree with this. This is something you and I are going to develop quite a lot. I think so. Uh, and it's important in a number of body-focused disciplines. But just speaking, indicating to your partner that you need a certain part of your body worked on can be challenging. Yeah, because the right side can mean as in left and right, or it can mean the correct side. Well, and those are quite different, like or potentially yeah. quite different. Yeah, or you can be saying like, oh, uh, I need you to uh, loosen the rope on my leg that's closest to the arm of the red chair. And then the rigor is like, oh, do you mean the burgundy chair or the carmine chair? Yes, like, yes. There's an infinite number of difficulties in expressing exactly complex things the kind in space with words. Exactly ESL rigor does. Uh, I note. <laughs> the good news is you don't, you don't only have words to work with when you're doing this type of thing. Yeah. So we also um, picked up doing more touch things. So when you have your arms free as a bottom, you can uh, touch with your fingers or mm -hmm. you can wiggle your toes. When you're the rigger, uh, the rope top, you can um, touch or tap uh, Do you mean here? Yeah. yeah, and you're tapping me. The, the listeners can't see you tapping me. No, I am, I am tapping her leg and saying, oh, this leg. Yeah, so you're tapping the leg at the same time as saying it. And we also noted that it's the rigger's responsibility to move to the bottoms area so they can see. So if the um, rigger says something... Um, that the bottom can't see, that the bottom is tied up. Yeah, so she can't really turn around and look at you and say, what are you pointing at? You, you as the rigger, have to move yourself into the bottom's field of vision. And also, it's a lot easier to communicate about complicated things when you're face-to-face. -face. So that might mean going around, that might mean going under and crouching near to your bottom's face, so you can have a higher bandwidth of communication. Yeah, and bear in mind, if your bottom is unable to get the words out, maybe they're in a lot of pain and you need to bring them out of whatever difficult position they're in so they can, in this particular style, so they can communicate. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. If you just did a transition and all of a sudden your bottom can't talk to you anymore, 
probably you want to reverse that transition or alleviate the suspension somehow and check that everything's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know if we're getting across enough that this style of rope is utter chaos. And yes. Sort of terrifying. And that is, in fact, your nickname for it, isn't it? Chaos rope. Yeah, I think from now on I'm going to call it chaos rope. Yeah, yeah. This is a, a high, has a high risk profile. Um, and we definitely, <laughs> we enjoyed it and it was exciting, but it was also something that both of us felt that we were glad we were doing it with each other, mm-hmm. where we feel like we have a reasonable level of communication, but even then, there were, it taught us a lot of things we can do. Yeah, I think it's taking us a bit outside of our comfort zone and definitely going to help us develop some new skills. Uh, it's sort of making things go wrong on purpose so you get better at handling incidents. Yeah, which is scary. And as a perfectionist, quite uncomfortable. Um, Interesting. Yeah, you are a bit more of a perfectionist than I am. I, am. But I can see that. I am. And um, you need to be aware that if you're doing this, you know, that the part of the point is that your stuff's going to go wrong. Yes. And that can be a challenge if you have an audience and you worry about how you're going to come off as a rigger or as a rope bottom. If you do this style of chaos rope in public, people are going to see you in trouble and if they don't understand what you're doing, they might think, oh, those people are not very good. Yeah, or if you do it in a dungeon, uh, you need to tell your dungeon monitor because otherwise you might have someone stepping in not understanding that you're making things go wrong on purpose. Okay, very good point. Um, it's very teamy, though. This is one of the things that we felt. It's not the kind of thing we would normally do, but there's a lot of helping each other with body contact, yes. um, body technique, so physically supporting the bottom, the bottom actively pressing um on things pushing on things the top can help the bottom by giving them temporary like hoops not hoops um loops yeah (laughs) i had hooks and loops uh loops to push on um you you likened it to 3d rock rock climbing yeah basically the rigger by his rope and by his body can create um points for the bottom to active bottom on to to push on to to get yourself out of certain positions or to transition. And I also really enjoyed the way that the bottom can sort of wiggle and turn their body around to participate in imagining what the next transition might be from a certain position. Yeah. And like, oh, I feel like my chest could torsion to the left here and maybe my right leg could go up and like, that can be very participative. And that's where part of the experience comes in, in terms of understanding the choices that you might have in terms of what you might do next. So that mm-hmm. isn't just a top decision, that's a bottom and top decision. And the bottom needs to be able to be capable of helping to make that decision. Yeah, yeah, which also justifies... Is one of the reasons why having an experienced bottom is important for this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely high risk profile. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, very much so. Have a cutting tool not Close. only around but where you can immediately reach it. Yeah. Because if it's it goes if it goes wrong, it goes wrong really fast. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, unexpe- uh, unexpected things can happen. Yeah. Um, and it can be hard to go back as well. So one of the things that we notice when doing it is. Because of the way that ropes all kind of higgledy-piggledy, if you make a change, you don't know what's going to go slack elsewhere in your rope, and you may not be able to undo it. Yeah, basically, the body weight of the bottom tends to eat up the slack in your rope whenever you have any, because, well, it's pulling on the line, that's what it's doing. And thus, once that slack is gone, unless you can lift the whole body weight of your bottom with one hand, you can't get it back. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it can become too late in inverted commas quite quickly. So you need to take each other seriously when you're giving feedback and ask questions. One of the things um, that we learned and we need to practice more with is asking prompt questions. So what kind of prompt questions can you remember? Uh, prompts as in get the person talking, not prompt as in fast, right? Yes, yes, okay. Good. Uh, one question we learned to ask in the workshop what, that was good was, what are your thoughts here? Like yeah. Bottom is in a certain situation and just trying to probe into their state of mind, I suppose. Yeah, what else? Uh, where can we go from here if you're talking about possible transitions? Uh, if the bottom looks a bit in trouble, what's hurting the most? Or out of the things that are hurting, can you describe some of them? Okay. Um, and so one of the key things I would note there at a macro level is all of those are open questions, not closed questions. So a closed question is something to which you ask yes or no to, has an answer of yes or no. An open question means that the other person can answer however they want. And mm -hmm. if you ask a closed question, you're going to get a yes or no. So just yeah. make sure you're using who, what, where, when, why, those kind of questions one thing that can be useful if you want to have a bit more of a dialogue which really you should is uh, finding your moments of stability in all that chaos and it's probably not when you have uplines open and you're turning someone and like trying to put out a fire that's not when the deep reflections are going to happen but when you find a stable position in all that mess take a step back take a breath together and say okay like this is more sustainable i'm not saying very sustainable i'm saying more sustainable so let's take a minute to talk together about what we're going to do next yeah yeah and if you feel that the two of you have started to diverge so um your your team has started to kind of split slightly so one of you is actually struggling more this is where you really need to pay attention to the mm. other person you you need to stop and have that moment of regrouping and maybe even stop and restart I think the decision of when to end the scene is really important with this style of rope and people might feel um, guilty about stopping the scene or might want to take extra for the partner but it's really a style where you need to be reasonable and when things are starting to go wrong which honestly pretty much universally they will yeah because it's designed to do that that's yeah. not a bad thing in this it is it is not it is not a bad thing it doesn't mean you're a bad bottom or a bad rigger like this style will make things go wrong it's important to know where to stop yeah yeah and it might test the strength of your work relationship so having had all of those discussions in advance is going to make sure that you are you know happy and comfortable with each other even though you're dealing with um you know what's a, a consistent stream of challenges hmm. uh, definitely we had a good experience we would recommend those both of those workshops i think yeah definitely, definitely. and we'll add uh, in the show notes the contact details for cad uh, and miscellany should you be interested in taking that workshop yourself yeah Uh, so that's all from us at the Rock Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, from iTunes, Stitcher, and come friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Single word, no hyphen on space, just Rope Podcast. Uh, you can support us on our Patreon to keep us running, just for the price of a cup of coffee a month. And if you can't afford that, give us a review. Uh, we love questions from listeners, so drop us a message on Fet, and we'll try to answer you in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.